Welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, and today we've got a special guest, Mr. Bob McCarran in the studio. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Louis. This is actually Columbus Day weekend, but we're doing a special show in honor of Veterans Day because we're going to be here live for a Veterans Day show, so we just thought we'd kind of move those out of sync with each other. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Talk about military. There's one particular thing I think that epitomizes the military more than maybe anything else, and that's the Jeep. Yes, and what we're going to do today is honor of Veterans Day. We'll celebrate the Jeep, actually, and that is the oldest four-wheel drive, off-road, and SUV brand vehicle. By the way, just for information, the Land Rover is the second oldest four-wheel drive car brand Mm-hmm. It was introduced in 1948 by the British car manufacturer Rover, which is now part of the Jaguar Land Rover group. Mm-hmm. But today we're going to discuss the Jeep, how it got its name, the history of the patented Jeep 7 vertical slot bar grill, mm-hmm. the company that first designed and used the vertical bar grill, and why the GM Hummer can use the same grill. Well, nobody else can, and that's the question. <laughs> <laughs> And we will list the many American Jeep manufacturers, including the World War II Willys Jeep, its predecessors and descendants, and touch on the foreign manufacturers, such as Mahindra. Yep. First, I think we discuss a little bit of the origin and some of the history of the Jeep. That's right. And when the Jeep came along, the U.S. military had an idea for a vehicle that they could use in general service. And, of course, that concept became the Jeep. Yes, in the late 30s, the U.S. Army asked the American auto manufacturers for new vehicle prototypes to replace the lightweight vehicles that were in service, such as motorcycles and Model Ts. Mm -hmm. American Bantam produced a few roadsters, two or three small trucks, and Ford produced five 4x4 Marmon Harringtons. They were the company that produced the undercarriage, the four-wheel drive, and Ford mounted the bodies on top. Mm -hmm. Then in 1940, the Army formalized requirements for a one-quarter ton, four-by-four, general-purpose personnel or cargo carrier for reconnaissance and our command, RNC. They asked 135 manufacturers for prototypes, but only three companies responded. Those companies were American, Bantam, Willys, Overland, and Ford. As it turned out, the Ford's bid was too expensive. The Willys Overland was a low bidder, but they couldn't meet the livery schedule, and therefore American Bantam was awarded the bid. They committed to a pilot vehicle in 49 days and production of 70 vehicles in 75 days. Hmm. The Bantam prototype was called the Blitz Buggy. (laughs) (laughs) That's so. (laughs) And it was delivered on September 23, 1940. The design leader was Carl Probst. The Bantams Mark II BRC, that was B for Bantam, R for Reconnaissance, and C for Command, the BRC-60. Those were tested from September 27, 1940 through October 16, 1940. They built 70 of these. I wonder if any of those are still in existence anywhere. Yeah, I imagine there are some, and those would really be some collector cars. I would say. Now, it was determined that, and this kind of sounds like some political maneuvering here. (laughs) Imagine that. It was determined that American Bantam did not have the required future production capacity or the fiscal stability. So Ford and Willis Overland were given the Bantam blueprints and requested by the Army 
two inner prototypes, which the Willis prototype called quads, and these later developed into the Willis MA and then the MB, M for military. Right, and then we'll A get and in, B. Yes, we'll get into the descriptions on that later. Ford built two prototypes also, the Pygmy and the Bud, and those evolved into the GPWs. Right, we'll which actually got into production. Yes. Now, all three companies were given contracts to produce 1,500 vehicles for each company, and that was for testing. None could make the weight specifications, so they raised the weight to just under 2,200 pounds. In July 1941, the second contract round was given to Willis Overland for 16,000 Jeeps. The reason was their go-devil powerful engine, and Willis used the best features. They were allowed to do this from all three companies. That's really good timing, I guess, on their part, because this is July 1941. Of course, the United States entered the war in December of 1941. So they're basically in the right place with the right vehicle at the right time. Yes, and so in July of 41, they took the best features, combined them from all three companies, the Willis Overland Jeep. It included the flat wide Ford hood where things could be carried, mm -hmm. a gun could be mounted, or a soldier could take a nap. That's right. And, of course, I've seen everything from communion being said by a priest on that hood to people chowing down on uh, <laughs> having their lunch on it. So that flat hood actually worked out pretty well. They also used the cheaper stamped Ford grill. So we get a little bit into the grill here, but we'll cover this later. But the Ford grill had a nine-slot vertical bar grill. Later, Willis changed the number of vertical slots from nine to seven. But one way you can tell the World War II Jeeps is that they all had a grill with nine slot vertical bars. And how long did that continue? Till the end of the war, 45, they went seven okay. slots. Really? Okay. They're not, it says seven slot bars. Right. Well, it's really seven slots. Slots rather than bars. And I know right. the war Jeeps also had a split windshield in them. There was a dividing bar down the center of the windshield that I think in when the 46 model civilians Jeeps came out did not have. Those are the two distinguishing features. Mm -hmm. You can tell the World War II Jeeps from those from the, the grill and the split windshield. Mm -hmm. See, in October 41, Ford was also contracted then to produce the Jeeps, hence the GPW designation. The G stood for government. The P stood for passenger car. That was Ford's internal passenger car, 80-inch wheelbase design. Mm -hmm. And the W stood for Willis engine design. Okay. The government said the, the reasons they were giving Ford the contract was this way they would have more than one government manufacturing facility in case of sabotage. And also they could take advantage of the large facilities, manufacturing facilities available at and Ford. I think probably even in October of 41, the government was anticipating us getting into the war. It's sort of heresy to say that nowadays because supposedly December 7th was a complete surprise attack and all, but I don't think it was really quite as much of a surprise. I, I think the government really was aware that things were going that way, and they had to be prepared for it. You can't just sit back and wait. Not only that, but the Lend-Lease program was going on, so we were building a lot of material for England and Russia and sending that over to those guys. Yes, on the Lend-Lease program, we sent Jeeps to Russia. Actually, 51,000 Jeeps went to Russia. Mm -hmm. And American Bantam actually produced, there's a couple of different numbers I've found in research, but somewhere around 26 or 2,700 what they called the BRC-40 models mm -hmm. for World War II in 1941. And then they ceased production in December of 41. The Willis Jeeps, they produced over 360,000. Ford, almost 280,000. Plus almost 1,300 amphibian Jeeps. Those were called C Jeeps. 
and they called them oh, seeps. Seeps. <laughs> <laughs> Production of the World War II Jeep ended in August of 1945. Now, each manufacturer at the beginning, they had some different parts, but they all had to be interchangeable. Yeah, that was an interesting concept, and that's one they can really use today. I delved into World War II Jeeps a little bit. I really always wanted one. I never have owned one, but I always wanted one. But I have kind of worked in restoration on a few of them. And if you have a parking brake handle for a Ford GPW, it may have the word Ford stamped on it. It may look different, but it will bolt right into the Willis body. And there's the individual components can be a slight difference, but they all have to interchange. And that was just necessity. You know, if you're on Guadalcanal and you need a carburetor, it can't say, well, is this a Ford or is this a Willis? You have to have the part. And so all the parts as a total would interchange. Yes, and prior to 1944, Ford actually manufactured their own Jeep bodies. And Willis Overland had a company called ACM that stood for American Central Maintenance that manufactured their Jeep bodies for Willis. And later that company, ACM, manufactured the bodies for both Ford and Willis. Mm -hmm. Early features, like Lewis said, such as identification of the Willis or the Ford on the stamped rear panels and such were eliminated by July of 1942. Yeah, I remember that story that the government wasn't real happy with them putting their advertising on a government vehicle. <laughs> so you, you can find some of the real early model Willis. It'll have the word Willis written on that rear tailgate panel. Of course, later models, they eliminated that. Yes, in summary, you could say the World War II Jeeps, which were made from 1941 through August of 1945, the Willis had four basic styles, and the real collector items today, the slat grill MBs, were produced from 1941, November of 41, through January of 42. That was the big cast iron grill. The early MBs made by Willis were produced from January 42 through July 42, August 42 through January 44, the pure Willis MBs, and then January 44 through August of 45, the composite bodied MBs. And what's meant by composite bodies, that's a combination of structural configurations that were built by American Central Maintenance. Right. And they just really couldn't keep up with the demand any longer in, in the height of uh, the war production, so they had to bring in a company that could produce them just a little faster. Yes, and the Ford GPW, which again stood for Government Passenger Car Willis Engine Design, had three basic designs. January 42 through July 42 were called the early script GPWs and August 42 to January 44, the pure Ford GPWs, and then January 44 through August 45 were the composite body GPWs built by ACM. Mm -hmm. The MB was the basis then for the civilian Jeep, which they actually introduced it late 1945, mm -hmm. the CJ2A. And I guess the demand was there because a lot of GIs returning home just loved those Jeeps. They loved the way they operated, and they just wanted a version of it of their own. Everything was there to continue building them, even though the war had ended, so they just kept building them as a civilian. That's where the CJ came in. Civilian Jeep. The Jeep that followed then was the M38 Jeeps that were used in Korea, and then the M151 Jeeps that were used in Vietnam. And we'll get into those a little bit later. For now, I'd like to go and discuss a little bit about the first prototype car company, the American Bantam. A lot of people don't know that American Bantam produced the first Jeep prototype. And we go back in history... American Bantam derived from a car company called American Austin Car Company, which was really originally the Austin Car Company. Hmm, imagine so, that. <laughs> and that was Great Britain. In 1905, we'll go back a ways, Herbert Austin founded the Austin Motor Company and built cars with five-cylinder engines. 
He built military equipment for Great Britain, resumed car production in 1918, expanded to commercial vehicles and tractors. In 1921, he declared bankruptcy, but the company was restructured and a new vehicle, the Austin 7, named for its 7-horsepower motor to avoid the tax. It was produced by the same person, Sir Herbert Austin. This time he's a sir because he was knighted after World War I. This new car was licensed all through the world in Germany, a car company that became BMW. It was also licensed in France, in England by Sir William Lyons, who eventually formed Jaguar. And the car was also produced, but not licensed, by DAT in Japan. DAT became Datsun, which today is known as Nissan. Isn't that ironic that they were building cars in England that were licensed in Germany and in Japan? <laughs> that would come to be sort of a, <laughs> a problem for them here in just a few years. Yes. Well, in 1929, they licensed to America to build the Austin car, and Austin Company actually set up a factory for production in Butler, Pennsylvania. In 1930 through 1934, they produced cars licensed from the British Austin Motor Company and American versions of the Austin 7 car with the 7-horsepower engine. Mm -hmm. The car cost like $445, which was slightly less than the Ford. It was like a small Chevrolet with Stutz and Mormon-styled horizontal hood louvers, and was designed by Alex D. Sakonofsky. Now, the first year it sold 8,000 vehicles, but suspended production in 1932. They restarted in 1934, but suspended again, and in 34, and I guess because of the Depression, right. they filed for bankruptcy. About 20,000 total cars were made under the American Austin Car Company. Mm -hmm. In 1935, it was reorganized to be called the American Bantam Company. And that was reorganized by Roy Evans. He was a former salesman. He got financial backing and bought the company. He gave it the new name, updated the body, and a new engine. The car was redesigned by the same person, Alex D. Sekonofsky. They produced the new car from 1937 through 1941, including many for export. They produced cars, wagons, trucks, a total of about 6,000. If you remember Donald Duck's cars from the cartoons and mm -hmm. the comic books, that's what the car actually looked like. That was based the American on, Bantam. <laughs> on the American Bantam. <laughs> Incidentally, Roy Evans had controlling interest in Willis Overland and was one of the largest Willis Overland dealers while he was running American Bantam. So here you have a connection between two of the future Jeep manufacturers. And then in 1940, they produced the Jeep prototype, which was the blitz buggy that we talked about right. previously. Now we get into the Jeep, the American Bantam, 1932. Go back a bit again. The Austin in Britain sold the British Army two scout cars, and these were well received. In 1938, American Austin, this was the new company in America, loaned the U.S. Army two small Bantam trucks and later two or three roadsters for evaluation. The information I have is they never did get them <laughs> Never back. got them back. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of anything you loaned to the government. <laughs> so uh, the Army maybe felt a little guilty about that, but American Austin campaigned the Army, and finally the Army came up with some specifications for a vehicle that was very similar to the Bantam vehicles. And the first prototype, again, was the Blitz Buggy, built in September 23, 1940. Again, it was tested from September 27, 1940, through October 16, 1940. And they produced 70 of those vehicles. It was more economical to operate than the competitor prototypes, the Willis Overland, and also cheaper. In 1941, they built 
somewhere around 26, 2700 BRC 40 vehicles that we previously discussed and they ended production in 1941. Because Willis Overland had the more powerful engine and Willis and Ford had better production facilities, the contract was given to Willis to build the Willis version and Ford also to build the Willis version, which combined the best features from the Ford and the Bantam prototypes and test vehicles. American Bantam went on to make military trailers, the T3s, in 1942. 46, they made civilian trailers, the TC, C for civilian, mm-hmm. TC-3s. And in 1948, American Bantam was recognized by the U.S. Trade Commission as creating the Jeep in collaboration with the U.S. Army officers. American Bantam then went into bankruptcy by 1950, and Willis was granted the Jeep trademark. 1953, civilian Jeep trailer production ended for Bantam, and they were out of business. In 56, the company was taken over by American Rolling Mills. Wow. So an English car company that licensed cars to a German car company that became BMW and to a Japanese car company that became Datsun and later Nissan and to an American car company that actually developed the first Jeep, which became an American icon. Go figure. Quite a history there. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break, but we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Man alive. It starts with a bugle blowing revelry over your bed when you arrive. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things that chap my hide lately. $150 jeans, vanity licenses that are too complex to read, billboards that say drive carefully. Think about that one. Child beauty pageants. I mean, let's go ahead and set these kids up for failure before they get to kindergarten. And how about when you try to be nice and let someone out in traffic and they won't go because they're talking on the cell phone? Here's a message for you. Put the phone down! Another thing that chaps my hide is repair shops that use Swaptronics to fix your car. That's where they can't pinpoint the exact problem, so they just change parts, hoping to fix something, which means your repair bill could double. The experts at Agco determine the exact problem, then fix it right the first time, at the price quoted, which does not chap my hide. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back to the Automotive Hour. If you just joined us, this is a pre-recorded program. Mr. Bob McCarran and I have put together for you. Sort of a program in honor of Veterans Day, even though this is Columbus Day weekend, just for the irony of it all. <laughs> we thought it'd be kind of fun to do a show on Jeeps. The military vehicle is sort of synonymous with the U.S. military all over the world. Just before the break, we were talking about the Jeep, and a lot of folks wonder, where did the name Jeep come from? Yes, the origin of the name has never really been confirmed. Some believe that the name Jeep was a slur of the term GP, which stood for general purpose vehicle. GP, you say it kind of fast, it sounds like Jeep. Jeep. (laughs) (laughs) The term Jeep, though, was used by Army mechanics for any untested vehicle. And they also used that term for new recruits. Really? (laughs) So I guess they were untested, too. That's right. There is some belief that the name derived from Eugene the Jeep, who was a Popeye cartoon character. The cartoon by E.C. Seeger, March 1936. Eugene the Jeep was Popeye's jungle pet. That was a small little pet 
and it could move between dimensions, climb, overcome obstacles, and solve complicated problems. Sounds like a Jeep to me. <laughs> <laughs> but now in 1941, where they were testing the Jeeps at Camp Holabird, the test driver, Irving, known as Red Hossman, drove a 1941 Jeep up the Capitol steps for a demonstration of the vehicle's capabilities. He told a Washington Daily News reporter, Catherine Hilliard, that it was a Jeep because he had heard the term from the soldiers at the camp where the testing of the vehicles took place. The name Jeep was written up with a photo going up the steps in the February 41 article in the Washington Daily newspaper, and there the name stuck. As a matter of interest, after the war, Ford did sue Willis Overland for the rights to use the term Jeep, but Willis won the rights and the name was granted to Willis, and the Jeep trademark was also granted to Willis. Mm -hmm. Of course, the name stayed with the succession of Jeep manufacturers. And there's been several Jeep manufacturers after the war and since all the way up to current times, there's still several different people who have made the Jeep over the years. Yes, we can get into that. We have, just as a summary, have Kaiser, American Motors, and Chrysler following Willis. Mm -hmm. Now, just to recap and do an overview of the manufacturers, of course, American Austin, we covered, Willis Overland, and the Ford GPW, the World War II Jeeps. After the war, from 1944 to 53, Willis Overland still produced the Jeeps. They also produced the civilian Jeeps, CJs, CJ for civilian Jeep. 1945 was the first one. Actually, in 44, they had the CJ-2. They were modified MBs. But in late 1945, the CJ-2As were offered for sale to the public. 46, they had the Jeep wagon production. 47, the Jeep truck production. 48, the Jeepster. You can see some of these at the rod runs sometimes. That's right. With modified big engines. In 1949, the CJ-3A production began. And in 1950, M-38s, that was the Army Jeep used in the Korean War. Right. It was also produced by Ford and American Motors. 1952, the CJ-3B production began. Now, in 1953, actually March of 53, Henry J. Kaiser purchased Willis Overland, and he renamed the company Willis Motors. 53 to 64, Kaiser Company produced the Jeep under the Willis Motors Company. Mm -hmm. From 64 to 70, the Kaiser Company produced the Jeep. They had changed the name to the Jeep Corporation at the end of 63, the beginning of 64. In 1970, it was American Motors bought the Kaiser Jeep Company. And from 70 to 87, they produced the Jeep. American Motors is the company that was formed by the combination of Nash and Hudson back in 1954. Right, and they actually built a passenger car known as the Rambler, which was pretty popular little car at the time. Yes. Also, Renault was combined with AMC and was responsible for production in 86 and 87 models. Now, we'll come back to the Hummer and the Humvee, American AM General, American Motors Corporation subsidiary, AMC subsidiary, was AM General. And they actually produced the Humvee, which was the military version of the later civilian Hummer. Right. But we'll get back to that a little later. Just to cover here briefly that the next manufacturer, in 1987, Chrysler purchased Jeep from American Motors Corporation. And they produced the Jeep from 87 to 98. They replaced the CJ with the Wrangler. Yes, the Wrangler. They're not still in production, but there's still quite a few of them around. They're actually still pretty popular. I know we work on quite a few of them. People bring them in, have them restored, get things fixed on them, one thing or another. Real fun little vehicle. Wrangler. And that was an AMC design. 
1998, Daimler-Benz purchased Chrysler, and Chrysler became Chrysler AG that produced the Jeep from 98 to 2007. Chrysler LLC reformed Chrysler. Right, that's after the bankruptcy. Yeah, you know, they produced the Jeep from 2007 to 2009, and now, from 2009 to present, it's the Chrysler Group LLC, which is a Fiat subsidiary. So there's quite a list of manufacturers, and then we also have some that we'll talk about a little later, mm-hmm. some of the foreign manufacturers. There you go. Talking about the Jeep, the world-famous U.S. military vehicle that was with us for so many years, and of course it's still around the civilian version, although it's not a lot in common with the original. It's still the same name anyway. And even though today's show is a pre-recorded show, I don't want anyone to despair because you can still get your questions answered. Just go to the website. It's www.agcoauto.com. Of course, that's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Stands for Altazan's Garage Company. If you look right front page up at the top, there's a bar that says Contact Us. And if you click on Contact, it'll bring up a little form. That form couldn't be easy to use. You just type in your name and your email address and what kind of vehicle you have and so on and so forth. Then at the bottom, it lets you put in whatever is wrong with the car so that I'll know what you're talking about. And even making it easier, whenever you hit the button to send it, it's going to come up and ask you, would you like to remember this information? Just tell it, yeah, and next time you bring up the form, it'll automatically be filled out for you. How about that? Boy, modern technology is something. Send me an email, and I'll get an answer right straight back to you. It may not be just within the hour, but normally within 24 hours always, and most times a whole lot faster, even when I'm on vacation. So go ahead and send me an email. I'll be glad to get your question answered for you. Of course, while you're on there, there are just a ton of other things you can do as well. Anything from the detailed topics, which will give you information on everything from buying a dial indicator and using a dial indicator to testing voltage and just all sorts of other things, how to check a relay, how to check a fuse, you name it, it's probably in there. Lots of information on all all changes, batteries. There's something in there for just about everybody. Pop on there and see what you think. It's www.agcoauto.com. And we're going to take a quick little break, but we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a little advice for those who overshare on Facebook. I know, I friended you, but please, I don't need to know what you had for breakfast or where you just scratched. I don't need to know your Uncle Dominic's political beliefs or that your mom painted her kitchen a color called Frosted Fern. And for the last time, we don't care that your cat, Doogie Meowser, really looks like Neil Patrick Harris. Some more advice? In this tight economy, why waste money on a new vehicle? Stick with your older model and take good care of it to make sure it lasts. Come to Agco for quality maintenance and repair, and we'll save you from throwing money away on a big note so you can pay other bills or save for something else. In Facebook terms, that's something you'll definitely like. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Now I'm noise off the river to ride. Don't mind it cause the man with the whiskers has a lot behind it. But I can't keep 
fortune with a victory crew when you're making me punch you with that bottle move. Well, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with special guest, Mr. Bob McCarron. Today's show is a pre-recorded show, and we're talking about the Jeep in celebration of Veterans Day, which is coming up next month. Of course, this is Columbus Day weekend, but we're just a little bit ahead of our time. There you go. The Jeep, uh, we talked about where the name came from. We talked about the World War II Jeeps, which I think is what Hollywood made famous, really probably did more for the Jeep than just about anybody else promoted. But the wars ended, and Jeep production moves from one place to another place and one company to another company. And a lot of people have bought it out. A lot of people have owned it. Let's talk just a little bit about all the people who have owned and built the Jeep and a little bit of the history there. Yes, we covered that Kaiser eventually bought it out from Willis, Willis Overland, mm-hmm. and then the AMC, and then eventually Chrysler, and so a lot of manufacturers. Well, going back to discuss starting at the Willis and then Kaiser Fraser, who bought out in 1953, bought out the Jeep. Go back in history a little bit. In 1908, John North Willis buys the Overland Automotive Division of Standard Wheel Company. And in 1912, he renames the company the Willis Overland Motor Company. So we're talking way, way back, 1912, where Willis Company, Willis Overland, actually began. And in 36, Willis Overland Motors Incorporated is created after coming out of bankruptcy following the Great Depression. In 38 to 39, in that era, Joseph W. Fraser, former Chrysler executive and salesman. Sort of a forerunner of things to come. <laughs> yes. He became, right, another uh, connection with the future Jeep. Became, he became president of the Willis Overland Company, and he was the chief executive when Willis Overland won the Jeep contract, in fact. So here we have another connection between Willis Jeep and the yet-to-be Kaiser Jeep. Now, Fraser became president of, back in the 1927, stepping back again, of the Graham Page Corporation. He had a history in the automotive field. That company was formed by the Graham brothers, who purchased two companies, Page and Jewett Car Companies. But in 1945, Joseph Fraser, who was then president of the Graham Page Corporation, he and Henry J. Kaiser the industrialist and shipbuilder from the World War II and World War I, formed the Kaiser Fraser Corporation. 1947, the stockholders approved the transfer of the auto assets to the Kaiser Fraser Company. And Kaiser and Fraser were going to each produce a car, a Kaiser car and a Fraser car. Yeah, it was going to be two separate vehicles as right. opposed to the Kaiser Fraser, which more or less came along later. Right. And the Kaiser was going to be a front-wheel drive vehicle. They actually built some prototypes and the Fraser car was going to be an upscaled rear-wheel drive. However, in 1947, they ended up sharing the bodies in the drivetrain. The advantage they had that was that they were out ahead of the big three, Ford, Chrysler, General Motors, with the new post-war models in cars. And the cars were advanced at that time, but in Kaiser, Henry J. Kaiser pushed for production, tried to produce as many as possible, Fraser wanted to limit the production somewhat so they could save their assets to bring out some new models again in 1950. But Henry J. got his way, and the result was that in 52-53, they were behind in the styling game. That's another sort of classic example of the short-term versus long-term thinking that really pervades our society today. When you think short-term, you usually end up losing long-term. Now, go back. Also, they produced some other cars during this time in the early 50s. They produced a... Henry J., named after Henry J. Kaiser, from, mm-hmm. they produced that model from in 51, 52, and 53. 
And that little car turned into a lot of race cars. A lot of, I know the racers used to get them. I remember even when I was racing cars many years ago, there was a little Henry J locally that was a pretty fast little car. Kind of a cool looking, almost a, looked almost like a car from the 30s. Had that styling with the bigger fenders and stuff on it. The drag races, they were really hot cars. Mm-hmm. Some of them ran the old Ford Flatheads and some of them ran the Chevy engines. That's right. Later. 1951, the Fraser car was discontinued after the model year. And in March of 1953, Kaiser bought the Willis Overland Jeep, and they renamed the company the Willis Motor Incorporated, the company that made the Jeep. But it was owned by the Kaiser company. Also, sideline in 52 and 53, Sears Allstate had a car. It was actually the Henry J. It was an upscaled Henry J. Sold mostly in the South. Mm-hmm. And only in the full-service stores. Sold through the catalog or in the stores where you just go in, you can order a car just like anything else. Yeah, right through the catalog. Well, in March of 53, after Kaiser bought the Jeep, they were now the producer of the Jeeps. So now also they still produce cars. And Willis, who produced the Jeep prior to that, also had a car, the 52-53 to Willis Errol. It was a mid-price car, and they continued to produce that, Kaiser did. For the next two years, 54 and 55. So Kaiser had the Willis Jeep and the Willis Errol car in their lineup. In January of 54, the Kaiser Fraser Corporation was renamed Kaiser Motors Corporation. Fraser had somewhat dropped out, but not totally. 1954, the Jeep, they produced a CJ5. And in 55, the Kaiser car production ended. The Kaiser car still continued as a Willis Errol Mm -hmm. back in Brazil but it was produced 1960 to 71 and sold through the Ford dealers and replaced later by the Maverick. Yeah, once the Maverick came out, they didn't have a need for a smaller car. They had their own small car. Yes. Now we go a little bit to the future here. In 1960, the M151, which is known as the MUTT, and I'll give what that stands for, M-U-T-T, that Jeep was produced by Kaiser and also along with Ford and AM General. That Jeep was used in the Vietnam War. In 63, the company Willis Motors changed its name to Kaiser Jeep Corporation. In 65, they retired the Willis name, discontinued the Willis wagons and trucks. 1970, as we said before, AMC bought the Jeep, and the corporation became the Jeep Corporation. Mm -hmm. 1987, AMC, including Jeep, was sold to Chrysler, which we talked about before. Yeah, we're getting into relatively modern times now. Yes. Now, the Jeep is now owned by Chrysler Group, as previously discussed, which is about 60% owned by Fiat. And it appears that Fiat intends to buy the rest of Chrysler. Fiat also owns Ferrari, Maserati, Lancia, Alfa Romero. So uh, the Jeep is in good company. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I will talk a little bit about the descendants of the World War II Jeeps, the Willis M38 Jeep, 1950. Mm -hmm. It was a steel tub bolted to a steel frame. Had rigid live axles like the CJ and the Wrangler. Those were used mainly in the Korean War. Later came the MUT, the military that stood, M-U-T-T stood for Military Utility Tactical Truck. The MUT was known as the M-151, quarter ton, 4x4. The contract was actually awarded way back in 1951 to Ford, and they got into production in 59. They produced 100,000 between 1959 and 1982, and these were the M151A2 Jeeps. They mm-hmm. were produced by Ford. 
Kaiser Jeep and AM General, which was a subsidiary of American Motors. There's also one in the Studebaker Museum, and I'm not sure where that one came from, but it was supposedly a Studebaker when I went through the museum. Mm -hmm. So there may have been other companies that produced these also. And they were used mainly in the Vietnam War, and Saudi Arabia used those Mutt Jeeps in the Gulf War. They were integral box frame rails right. into a sheet steel body, and they were a lot roomier, and they were light, and they had a low CG, center of gravity. They were much more agile and maneuverable, and it was high-speed comfort. They had independent coil spring suspension, swing axle rear suspension like the early Carveras, and these Jeeps had a horizontal grill. They didn't have the vertical slot. Mm -hmm. 1964, they redesigned the rear suspension because when it had a tendency to roll over, the Jeep did when it was not loaded heavily in the rear. They also added turn signals and more load carrying capacity. Then again, in 1970, the rear suspension was redesigned to a semi-trailing arm suspension like the premier German cars had in the late 80s. U.S. Department of Defense said that these vehicles did not meet the federal safety standards for civilian vehicles, and they came out and replaced eventually with the Humvee. Mm -hmm. And these were produced by AM General, but there were other ones that were produced as prototypes. These Mutt vehicles were still used after the Humvee came out as a fast attack vehicle through 1999 by the Marines in Kosovo. And also there were many variants. Yeah, people, I guess my age, might remember the television program Rat Patrol where they took a 50 caliber machine gun and mounted in the back of some of those little Jeeps and made just a fast attack type vehicle, sort of like that. Yes, and then they were replaced by the Humvee. Those were produced by AM General, 1971, AMC subsidiary. They started, that was a subsidiary of American Motors. And American General, in 1981, developed the M998 Humvee. That Humvee was HMMWV. That stood for High Mobility Multipurpose Wheeled Vehicle. And that's, it is that. That's a mouthful. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. Ford and Willis were producing the Jeep in World War II. It started out at $649 each. I think... Later on in the war, the price escalated up to $749 each, and they were building one every two minutes on average. By comparison, the Humvee cost the U.S. government around $70,000 per vehicle, and the up-armored vehicles they're using, like in Iraq, are close to $220,000 apiece. Boy, that's inflation for you, huh? They were quite expensive. Yeah. <laughs> well, in 79, the Army wanted to replace the, the Mutt vehicle, the M151s, on the other light tactical vehicles. They did some testing. Teledyne had a cheetah design, they called it. Chrysler Defense, which was later sold to General Dynamics, had a Saloki de desert design. Mm -hmm. And AM General, in the competition for the HMMWV, the Humvee, those were the three companies that provided vehicles for testing. In 1980, the AM General's prototype was tested in Nevada, and that was the favored one. And in 1981, but contracts were awarded to Teledyne, General Dynamics, which replaced the Chrysler uh, company, and AM General. They were given uh, contracts for test vehicles. In 1981, the AM General developed the M998 Humvee Hummer, later known as the Hummer in the civilian version. In 1983, the AM General was awarded the first production contract of 55000 over five years is what they produced. And LTV Aerospace and Defense purchased AM General from American Motors Corporation. 
And that brings up just about the current times, and it's been a real rough and rocky road for the Jeep, you might say. Today's show is a pre-recorded show. We're talking all about the Jeep and other military vehicles in celebration of Veterans Day coming up. we got to take another quick little break, but hey, we'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things I'm tired of. I'm tired of reality TV. There's nothing real about it. I'm tired of all those housewives, the Kardashians, the brides, the bachelors, celebrities in rehab. Here's an idea. Let's ship all the Flavor Flav's, Snookies, and Honey Boo Boo's off to a deserted island and watch America's average IQ jump up a few points. I'm also really tired of automotive repair shops that promote an $89.95 brake job and then hit the folks for $500 and give them a lousy job. Listen to me and take your vehicle to Agco, where you get quality work performed right the first time for a reasonable price. And that, my friends, is a reality. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco. It's the place to go. Welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Mr. Bob McCarran. We're talking about the Jeep vehicle and Mr. Bob, we left off talking just a little bit about the Humvee, which was a successor or a replacement for the Jeep. And the Humvee was built by American General. American General at first, and then it went on. Finally, it ended up with General Motors owning it. Yes, the first one was actually January 85, January 1st, the Humvee was produced. And in 1992, American General produced the civilian models. That was known as the Hummer. So right. the Humvee is the military, and the Hummer is the civilian version. In 1999, AM General incorporated a subsidiary to produce the engines. General Engine Products, just as a sideline there. They also sold the name and the rights to General Motors to market and distribute. It was a joint venture. AM General did the manufacturing, and GM did the marketing and distribution. And in 2003, they produced the H2, which was produced in a combination between General Motors and AM General. Right. That a was modified, a lot more of a GM-type vehicle. It was a modified Tahoe chassis with the big 6-liter mm-hmm. GM V8. In 2006, they produced the H3, which was on the truck platform built in Shreveport, Louisiana. Right, the S10-type platform. Yes, the Chevrolet Colorado and the GMC Canyon truck platform. <laughs> in 2009, GM went bankrupt. The Chinese firm was supposed to purchase the Humvee and Hummer. However, that fell through. In 2010, they were going to sell it to American company Razor and produce an electric hybrid. And also others looked to buy it. But by October 31st, GM shut down the Hummer without selling the company. Just discontinued it. And they produced overall, I guess, about the Hummer's the civilian versions of about 355,000. Right. A lot of those around. In fact, we work on several of them for different folks. There's also foreign descendants of the Jeeps. They had been assembled and manufactured and sold in India, China, Australia, France, the Netherlands, Chile, Brazil. Mahindra is a well-known name now of India. Right, tractor maker. Yes. 
farm equipment. Founded in 1945, they assembled Jeeps for use in World War II, and beginning in 47, they built and assembled Willis Jeeps in India under license. The French company Hotchkiss also purchased parts after World War II and produced Jeeps after the war and after 54 into the 60s under license by Willis of France. Also, Netherlands under license from Willis, they produce Jeeps, the company NEKAF. Mm-hmm. And in January of 84, interesting thing, AMC, which produced the Jeeps from 70 to 87, in 84 they had a joint venture with China, Beijing Jeep Corporation. They produced the Cherokee XJ, and today China produces the Jeep 2500. You know, one of the most distinctive features of a Jeep, and all real true Jeep enthusiasts, is a seven-slot vertical bar grill. And that's actually a patented trademark of Jeep Corporation. Yes, uh, when the prototypes were built, the Ford grill was the cheaper, lighter. It was a welded nine-slot vertical bar grill. The Willis grill was a heavy cast iron grill. And, of course, those were called the slat grills. We covered those earlier. And those are very valuable to collectors, the first Willis Jeeps with a slat grill. Later, Willis gave the grill seven vertical slots. However, all World War II grills had the nine-slot vertical bar grills. Only 10% of the Willis uh, Jeeps had that nine-bar cast-iron slat grill, which is collector-viable today. AMC and subsidiary AM General Corporation received the rights to use the seven-slot vertical bar grill in 1970-71 when they purchased Kaiser Jeep. Then Chrysler, in turn, received the rights from AM General when they acquired American Motors in 1987. However, the Hummer also used the vertical slot grill. Mm -hmm. AMC's uh, subsidiary AM General had the right to use the grill as a subsidiary of AMC, and they developed the military Humvee and began marketing the civilian Hummer in 92 and used that same design of grill, seven-slot vertical bar. In 99, AM General sold the Hummer name and rights, as we discussed before, to General Motors, to market and distribute. In 2003, as a matter of interest, Daimler Chrysler sued GM, saying it was an infringement on a patented Jeep grill to use it on the Hummer. But GM won in court because when you go back in the history, they did have the rights at that time to use that grill. The 1959 Mutt, uh, by the way, did not feature a vertical grill. It had a horizontal grill. Mm-hmm. And also, just for some information, not all civilian Jeeps have used a seven-slot vertical bar grill, but the majority of them do. If you see any Jeep on the road today, count the slots. Not not the bars, the slots. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Boy, I tell you, for a vehicle that's basically over 70 years old, it's still a really, really cool vehicle. And anybody out there who has one of the war Jeeps, one of the old World War II Jeeps, they want to let it go for a good price, just let me know, because I've always had a hankering to own. Hey, I want to thank Mr. Bob for being with us this morning. Yes, and I would like to thank my references, Collectible Automobile Mm -hmm. Magazine. April 2003, Hemmings Classic Car Magazine, August 2009, The Book of Cars of the 50s by James M. Flaming, and they were also uh, the auto editors of Consumer's Guide, Wikipedia, uh, Free Encyclopedia. And as a matter of interest, anybody that's real enthusiast should see the latest Hemmings Classic Car. The November edition just came out. They have an experimental Jeep prototype in there that was produced by Kaiser, actually. It 
really looks more like an AMC Gremlin to me. <laughs> <laughs> but and anybody, yeah, that'd be an interesting reading. For that's me. right. Who knows what'll go on with that? Hey, I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Mm-hmm.